0: So, um, we, we stay on the topic constantly of every Bible study being about seeing Jesus, having a revelation of Jesus. There's a lot of other things we can talk about, but, um, when we talk about loving each other more, when we talk about, um, being a good example, when we talk about being a a better family member, being a better husband, being a better wife, being a brother, friend, being a better anything in life, um, it really comes down to seeing Jesus, even, even the Bible says as, you know, husband love your wives, and it doesn't say period, as Christ loves the church. So if we don't understand how Christ loves the church, we can't get to that point where that fruit is manifested. We'll never get there, because what is the focus? The focus is how Christ loves the church. So as we see Jesus and how he loves the church, then that that transforms us. The Bible says we are transformed in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you read the whole thing, from reading and seeing Jesus in the word, that we're transfigured. We're not transfigured by our efforts, by our doing, by our more trying, right? We're transfigured by seeing him in the word, having a clear image of his love for us. You can even go to the um, to the song Solomon's and you can read that um, Solomon had uh, the Shemulite women. And if you didn't know this, the Shemulite women, her name is actually the female version of Solomon, you know, and that that whole book is a love letter, you know, back and forth between Solomon and the Shemulite woman, which is kind of a representation of the church when you look at the picture, because her, her being the female version of his name, it's almost like that same story. As we see the beauty of our Lord and Savior, we become him. We become more people would say, quote unquote, like him, but we become him, we reflect him, we're transformed into that image, like seeing in a glass that as we see him, we become that image. And so it's important that we see Jesus in every Bible study. And seeing Jesus is so important that when people come, and they will come to this house to or they will come to Bible study to see Jesus. And as they come to see Jesus, you're going to see that seeing Jesus is actually what's going to invoke hunger in people. Because, you know, how do you get someone who's not even hungry for God at all to get him to a place of hunger? Once they start seeing Jesus and his loveliness and his beauty and how much he loves his people, that's going to invoke people to be drawn toward Christ. And so um, even when we don't feel he's close, if you think about a relationship, um, what do you do when that when that person you love is in close? Oftentimes you can go to a friend and you just start talking about how wonderful they are and it almost feels like they're there with you. So as we talk about Jesus, as we come and we center our lives and our conversations and everything we do around Jesus and we just speak about how beautiful he is and what he's done for us on the cross, it brings a drawing of his presence near. Because sometimes in life, you're not always going to feel the presence of God. You're not always going to feel like he's near. But one thing you can do is start speaking about him, start talking about him, start uh. uh, uh Um, Kind of in in a sense, also imagining him and and what he would be like in person, knowing that he's actually right there. You know, having that confidence that whatever you could imagine in the best sense would be even better. You know, he would be even better than that in person. And so when we think about Jesus, when we think about him, we start talking about him. Right. I mean, that really brings the manifestation of his presence, because that's that's sometimes the trouble where you feel like, okay, you've had a rough day. You went through a long day. If you just start talking about him, not necessarily about his blessings or about all the things he can do for us or all this, uh, uh because we understand that grace is not just a teaching. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's the unfavored love. It's the un- un- undeserved, unearned love of Jesus toward us. And it's, it's, it's a person. It's not just a theology. It's not just something we're just trying to teach. It's as we talk about him. He becomes alive to people and the hunger begins to grow. So um, people even teach inspiring messages and you often hear these inspiring messages about um, having a burden for the lost or having a burden for this or having a burden for your family, having all these things, right? And you can hear this stuff and it'll inspire you. But if it's not like happening inside with Jesus, what will happen is when trials come, that burden can go away like that because it's, it's motivated from the external it's motivated from the outside. So we want to make sure that we're seeing Jesus so that we're transformed from the inside so that that burden is lasting and it stays and it's there. And it's not just this uh, uh, me trying to live past my transformation. I've kind of been on this tangent with certain certain situations where I I constantly started seeing this in the church, not in necessarily conquer church but just in the church in general like what you see on facebook and what you see in different videos from different preachers and all this all this stuff is that people are are being persuaded to live past their transformation meaning they've only had a certain amount of jesus but this is where religion comes into existence is they they start projecting like they're further along than they actually are and so when the times get tough the character The the bad character is still there because it wasn't fully transformed because it was done by a modification of behavior, not a transformation from seeing Jesus in the word. So um, having said all that, I I think it's the utmost importance for us to see Jesus. And so every Bible study, um, we definitely want to make sure that that's the end of what we're doing. Um, But we will teach and go into many different things. Today, we're going to talk about conviction. And um, a lot of people have a lot of um, um, common misconceptions about conviction. And I wanted just to ask you guys, what do you think are some common misconceptions about conviction right off the top? Because I know that you guys have probably have an idea in your head, but maybe like everybody just you know, give me one example. Like a, a, what you feel like might be a common misconception about conviction. It's kind of jumping the gun, I know, right? It's like we're going right into the to what the lesson's about. In
1: what sense?
0: In what sense is like any sense? Any in the in the sense of religion? When you, what what have you heard about conviction from different teachings and different things and and people walk around and they say, I have these are my convictions, you know.
2: Yesterday, I was talking to somebody, <coughs> and they were sharing with me. about uh, them being vaccinated, and it was on a, there's no such thing as vaccinated, like that word doesn't exist in the Bible, but I had to tread lightly because this person has never, not even for me, has heard grace, or heard about grace, has never heard about grace, doesn't even know what the word means, never has always been in a church that's just old-fashioned Christianity religion, you know, mm-hmm. and so... When I told her, there's no such thing as backslidden. What do you, um, it's not in, it's not in the Bible. I said, I wish I had time to teach it to you, but she said, I feel, when I feel, when I feel, I feel, she said, I feel convicted and backslidden, um, because I'm not going to church like I should you know, and so, um. I guess her sense of conviction is after she backslid in her mind. Yeah. After she backslid. that's when people start feeling the conviction after they've already indulged in sin, had their fun, and they start getting con- uh, they start getting uh, consequences, and then yeah. they feel conviction. Yeah. So that's the sense that I get <coughs> from uh, uh, people who have went to church, prayed the prayer, and went back in the world and lived their life. And they don't know grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing I've heard lately about conviction.
0: Conviction. Okay. Yeah. Anything that comes to mind?
2: I'm trying to remember who was telling me so I can share more with you.
0: Anything you've heard? No. Okay. No worries.
1: Misconceptions, conviction. Kind of like.
0: Or things that you just heard. Maybe. Maybe that might be a better question.
1: No. Uh, Continuous six cycle of, of being of, uh, of self conviction. Yeah. Of having to do this and then having to do that over and over and over and over again. Kind of like going back to the law where the Jews had to sacrifice an animal every year to, you know, absolve their sins. Well, that's all been done away with. Mm hmm. already to take care of so I guess people who are in religion are stuck in the six of, in the cycle of being told that uh, you, you're gonna you, you'll feel convicted in your heart when you're doing wrong and, and, and if you are you're not you're not right with God or something you know just yeah. something like that I don't to, I don't have the right words to, to
2: conviction is different than condemnation correct?
0: we're going to figure all that stuff out today. That's the... I'm just trying to get an idea of, like, you know, and some well of the things career, you guys know. Yeah. nation and
1: conviction. I mean, you're convicted about certain things, you know, just... I, I don't, I don't, well,
2: don't yeah. know what really Can I say something? <coughs> I would... I... If I cussed my husband out as a Christian, I'm going to feel convicted that I did that. Convicted that I should respect him and not ever say bad words to him. That... that that to me is
0: conviction. Okay. Yeah. So, the, the I guess the challenge that when we talk about conviction is that um, where do we find it in the Bible, right? That's going to be the first first question that we're going to have is like, where do we find it in the Bible? And you're going to find it two times in the entire Bible. In two conversations, you see this concept of conviction coming out, and it's nothing even close to how it's used in church. It's nothing even close to um, what we think it would be because it's so commonly used. Oh, these are my convictions or I felt convicted. You know, I, I messed up and I did a sin. And so I felt convicted that that was the wrong thing. And so even even certain things like this, using those um, phrasings, you don't really see them. You don't really see it. And so I think this is going to be a good Bible study to, to kind of establish an understanding of what the Bible teaches about conviction, specifically, because remember, out of the mouth are two or three witnesses, <clears throat> let every word be established. So it means we need to find it twice. I'm glad it's in there twice, right? Mm-hmm. out of Out of all out of all the the subjects, if it was in there once, like like the confession of sins, right in the New Covenant, it's only in there once in First John. So we can't create a doctrine out of it. So we might have to go and understand the context of it entirely to really. Say, okay, are we going to have a doctrine of confession of sins to be forgiven, right? <coughs> or is there a misunderstanding? Yeah,
2: but isn't confession of sins only like the Catholic
0: thing? Confession of sins is in First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we have misconceptions about things, they're usually drawn from scriptures but usually a misinterpretation of context, a misinterpretation of what's really going on in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's not our subject today about confession of sins, but I'm giving you an example of how something can be in the Bible one time and someone takes an entire doctrine off of it and they establish that in order to be forgiven, in order to be just, in order to be right with God or cleansed. It's,
1: it's the same thing when it says, um, I don't know what scripture is that one, tongues have ceased. Yeah. One scripture is quoted for that yeah. about time ceasing, but it's never followed through <clears> for the rest of the uh, entire you know, passage. For the rest of the passage to actually explain well, why it said that, why that's yeah. said.
2: No, it does. It says because that's after. I'm talking about after the resurrection, talking, after the But I'm, I'm talking
1: about the the, the doctor the people out there who are saying well, the times are ceasing now. The her. people who take it out of context. You take it out of context. There's people okay. that right. do right. Don't. And you only use the one. Yep. Well they don't study it.
0: Yeah, and, and this is the thing, it's like
1: And then it gets passed on from generation to generation to generation and it's just so convoluted after so much and it's just like it's just a full on doctrine and no one can say any, anything otherwise to these individuals because yep. that's what they're they've been taught from youth.
0: Absolutely. So that's why we're gonna talk about conviction today, because it's a good subject and it but it's it's so commonly used. But let's let's appropriate it. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out how because here's the thing what you believe Oftentimes even if it's wrong Will help mediate an experience Okay, so we interpret things based on how we believe But even so we can have an experience based off of a belief, but it doesn't mean it's accurate so you can have an experience with conviction but it doesn't mean it's accurate to the scripture, and it'll feel like okay, this is the way things should be, and it could be a misinterpretation either of the voice of God, your own voice, your own heart, or the devil, because all these voices speak to us that try that try to speak to us. God God is trying to speak to us, get our attention, and to show us His love and, and talk to us and, and, and embrace us, right? But then you also have the devil, who's what? Who's seeking to accuse, to attack, to... So we're going to go through that today. That's 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 the sole purpose of this lesson today. To understand this so we can help people who come... When they have these conversations, right? When they come to you and say, Well, I have this conviction or that conviction. Well, you have a good understanding of how to deal with that. Okay? So we have to start with the basis of what the Holy Spirit is in order to get this conversation going. In John 14 26 it says but the comforter um, the word comforter there is the Greek word parakletos meaning um, helper advocate Um, it's it's almost like an embracing term uh, a warm term which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I had said unto you so here's a here's two concepts uh, three concepts First one is that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, um, High Ghost, Holy, Numa Spirit, right? Is coming in whose name? Who's talking in this passage? We understand that it's Jesus. Jesus is talking in John chapter 14. You can go back and, and do some reading and you'll see that it's Jesus talking in this passage. And you'll know here that the Holy Spirit, the High Ghost Numa, is coming in whose name? Jesus. Okay, we're, we're good there? Amen. Okay. Now he shall teach you. So what is this Holy Spirit going to do? It's going to teach. It'll teach you. And then the second thing, what is it going to do? And bring to your remembrance. It'll help you remember. What things whatsoever I have said unto you. (coughs) So the the Holy Spirit is going to teach and bring to remembrance. These are some of the activities that it does. And remember, it's in the name of comfort. It's primary uh, descriptive word that it's using is a comforter. So it'll teach you, leading you to comfort, it will teach you leading, it'll help you remember to the point of comfort. So we're kind of going back as far as our reading, like we're looking from the bottom of the verses to the top. Now, the Holy Spirit works in our lives for teaching us and bringing things to our memory. Psalms 51. <coughs> so that's the establishment. So we know that the Holy Spirit teaches. Okay. But here's the thing we have to understand its role in the new covenant versus the old covenant. So this is what we're going to do in Psalms 59 1, I mean 51 9 and 10, 11, and 12. It says, Hide thy face from me, for my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities created. This is David, King David, saying this. Um create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is where people like get the concept of being right with God from. You see a lot of people draw their oh, like I'm not right with God because and, and it's because of a sin, because David sinned, right? And so David's asking to have a right spirit. And then he's also asking, Cast me not away from thy presence, so showing that he could be cast from the presence, and then take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So that also that the Holy Spirit could be taken so people when they sin oftentimes um this is actually used as a verse a go-to verse for many many people in a lot of different churches in religion as a means to help them overcome their sin not understanding that this method of dealing with sin happened under the law Okay, This is the Old Testament. This happened under the law. So he's saying, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. <coughs> and salvation is the word Yeshua here. Same name for Jesus. It's actually just more of the description of what of the saving. Right. It's not the name Yeshua like Joshua. So not Joshua would be like the name in Yeshua. That's the same name in Hebrew. But Yeshua here is more of like the action of saving. Okay. And so in the Old Testament, a lot of these, these theologies of being right with God, of being cast away from his presence, right? And the Holy Spirit leaving. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would leave. It would come upon a man and depart. Saul is a great example. And people use Saul as an example for people all the time. They say, if you have pride like Saul, the Holy Spirit will leave you. And there's all these kinds of teachings out there. And I'm not saying that that's not any of what we believe, of course, but we have to sometimes know where a lot of this stuff is drawn from in order to really help people overcome the condemnation that they're dealing with because they have read verses like this and they were pointed to verses like this, to chapters like this. And then they quote these verses in prayer and they then they adopt this right as an experience. Now, this is their experience. And then they, with effort, try to get right with God. With effort, try to stay in his presence. And with effort, try to keep the Holy Spirit with them. <coughs> By what? Obedience. You obey, the Holy Spirit stays. You don't obey, the Holy Spirit leaves. That's that's under the law. That's how it works. And that's where a lot of this, this religious concepts are b- brought into Christianity. Not understanding that we're not under this covenant. So what covenant are we under? So in the Old Testament, the spirit could be taken away for disobedience. So the Holy Spirit from time to time would come and go. It'd be like the, the in Hebrew, it's the ruah. It's the, it's the breath. It's the wind of God. Would come and go. Now, in our new covenant in Romans 8, if we actually get right into the center of Romans, right? The book of Romans, right in the center of the book in chapter 8, uh, it starts off the chapter with no condemnation. And it ends with no separation from the love of God. So it starts off saying, therefore, there is now no condemnation, right? And then at the end, it's saying there's no separation. And it says, for I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. The things to come is very important because a lot of people would say, oh, like some of these books are just for that time in history, right? They're just written to that time in history, to that church. No, 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 things to come. Things to come, which right now, right? So it's implying right now as well. Um, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we talk about this all the time. We can't use verses that are like not understandable. Let you can't let those verses rob us of stuff like this that's very plain. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. So why do people get separated from the love of God? Because that they're, they're taught, Psalms 51, where something can separate them from the love of God. And guess, that's what I'm telling you. An experience can be um, governed by a false belief. And you, you're trapped in a bondage where it's like something can separate you because you're taught from Psalms 51. And you start having that experience like you feel separated. Even though that that's not the reality of the new covenant. And then you covenant of grace, nothing can separate us. John quotes Jesus also saying this, nothing can pluck or take us out of his hands. Again, nothing can take us out of his hands. And then uh, we, we go back to the law. When the law came, under the law, 3,000 people died when the law came. And under grace, when, the, um, when grace came and the spirit of God fell, right? The spirit, the rushing wind came down. Um, 3,000 were added to the church. We understand our covenant is the covenant of life and closeness where nothing can separate us. But then we go back to the law. And so when you see people preaching these contrast messages, right? When you see that end result that, okay, here's something that can separate you. We have to be able to decipher those voices from outside. But here's where the hard part is. Deciphering those voices inside. When they happen in your mind, when they happen in your heart, when they happen in your thinking. Because our thinking is more towards the law. We, we we live off reward systems, we live off works in our natural state. Okay? And we're gonna to have to prove that as well. That the that the, the mentality of the world is actually just solely based on a works mentality. <coughs> Again, an, an, another verse to establish your security. In whom you trusted, you also trusted after that you have heard the word of truth. This is Ephesians 1:13. The gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed. So after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 430, later on in that same book, says almost the same thing. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And the day of redemption meaning the full redemption of your body. So when the catching away. Or where our bodies are transformed What some have called the rapture Right uh, When that day happens And we go in and we meet him in the sky Right He doesn't touch down on the earth We meet him in the sky That's the day of redemption That's the full redemption Because everything is redeemed Except the body Everything is redeemed except the body So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit Until that day Because that day Our bodies will be transformed It will no longer require the seal. And so, and it says here, grieve not the Holy Spirit. We're going to deal with that, right? Well, why? Because what does it mean to grieve not the Holy Spirit then? Grieving the Holy Spirit is that when we actually, um, we can only grieve the Holy Spirit because he stays with us even when we're in sin. We can only bring grief to the Spirit of God in us because he stays with us even when we're in sin. If we're sealed with the spirit, if we're sealed with it until the day of redemption, when we're saved, we grieve him when we are in sin, especially when we're in conscious awareness that we're doing something willfully wrong. You're going to find that that feeling will come a sense of like, I feel like I'm displeasing God in this moment, but you have to know that that doesn't mean you're out of fellowship but here's the thing, we're taught that you can be out of fellowship so that we actually believe we're out of fellowship and therefore our faith is focused on being out of fellowship. I am out of fellowship because I've done this. Instead of when we felt people, people encouraging us, no, you are still right with God. Come on, let's keep moving. Let's keep going forward. Let's keep walking with God. Let's keep going forward. Instead of saying that to someone, we had a great testimony of someone in church actually Um give an example of this in real life where someone said to her, oh, like you, uh, you sinned? Like you need to get right with God, right? And so when they told us their sin and they told me and I said, I can't change that experience. All I can do is provide you with a new one. And I said, imagine if that person just told you right after you made that mistake, you still have standing with God. Let's keep going. How would you have felt versus that person telling you you lost fellowship with God, and that person said, "I would have felt encouraged." Yep. Yeah.
2: We're not separated from the Holy Spirit; He's still with us. But an action of sin is our reaction of unbelief. Ours, not that He separates from us, but we are—it's our reaction of unbelief.
0: And and at the same time, that's exactly what I'm saying—is it?
2: Yeah. A, a,
0: a, a lack of. I'm not un- saying
2: that He separates from us. He's always went. No,
0: it's our, it's, our, it's, our, it's our faith, it's our belief that he has gone away yeah. that actually keeps us in that sin. Because when we make a mistake, we are still in fellowship. We're going to make mistakes during time. Yeah, well, the way
2: I meant to say it was every action of sin is a reaction of a man's unbelief is a reaction of men's unbelief not that God has left us at any moment
0: intact. yeah so what, what we need to establish and preach more of and teach people and bring them always bringing them back to security always bringing them back to standing to where they really stand because even in that moment if you, if, even if they're not in that moment and we encourage them and we say and we speak a prophetic word that they are when they believe it they become it so when you say you're the righteousness of God to someone after they failed and they're like, you know what? I believe that. Guess what happens to them in that moment?
2: They believe it.
0: They become empowered mm-hmm. past the sin because that is the only power to be under grace to overcome to, from for, for sin having dominion over us. So we're establishing new covenant. We're sealed. No one can take us from his hands. Nothing can separate. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, so when, the, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we have to understand that what he does in our lives will never contradict what he does. His actions in our life will never contradict our covenant of grace. He leads us to life and not to death and condemnation. The Holy Spirit will never do anything in our life to contradict what our covenant states. Okay? even what it speaks to us so a lot of people go around saying god said this and god said that and god said this and then you find out that it leads to death and condemnation then you you know for a fact god did not say that god is not in that person's mouth and you don't always have to be blunt about it and say god's not in your mouth right you just have to know in your heart because sometimes these people are going to come at you and they're going to and they're going to condemn you And they're going to be working from a spirit of accusation. Especially to people... The moment you talk about grace with someone who knows the Bible, right? Just like Jesus, what did they want to do with him? Put him on a cross. Right? They were so upset with him when he spared that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. They were so upset with him in that moment. They... What is he doing? We were gonna be able to stone her, right, to fulfill some sense of judgment. He said, He who has no sin, cast the first stone. Neither do I condemn you, go sin no more. <coughs> so So people speak condemning and say that God is judging the world, but the Bible says clear and flat There is therefore now no therefore now no condemnation. Condemnation can be broken down judgment okay? with sentencing. There is no judgment with sentencing. That's what condemnation means. It's Greek for katakrima. Katakrima. That's what condemnation is in Romans 8.1. Or in English, if you want to understand it in English and how it's broken up in etymology, conned into being damned. You're conned into being damned. You're conned into that you are judged, that you were fooled into being into believing that you're judged by God, okay? So that's another way to understand it in the etymology of English, the English language. So, (coughs) we have heard that it's easy to make him leave and hard to get him to come, but the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God came with a rushing wind, Acts, Acts chapter two, right? In the very first few verses. And on the day of Pentecost was fully come, And there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. You see the spirit of God rushing, right, to fall on the people. You don't see it like, oh, and the spirit of God slowly fell, you know, and drizzled itself from the heavens all the way to the floor. No, it came rushing. And that's going to be important to understand a little bit later in the Bible study. And lived in the hearts of his people, which wasn't the case in the Old Testament under the law. We talk about this, we've talked about this before. Is it better to have Jesus next to you or inside of you? A lot of people say next to you, right? Does people actually have answered that before in the past when I've asked that in Bible studies over the course of 10 years of teaching Bible studies? I've asked that many times. And I've gotten the answer. Oh, right next to us. I said no, it's inside of you. Never leaving you, never forsaking you, always with you, right? Sealed. So Acts 10, 43 is a very beautiful passage because it says to to him, give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins, so they're preaching remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. then while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell while he spoke the words, it almost seems like the the Holy Spirit loves those words the, the forgiveness of sins, when we start talking about the forgiveness of sins, the holy Spirit Right as he's speaking that, okay? It's the Greek word, uh, it's kind of a weird one because it has epipipto, if you want to pronounce it, epipipto, because the epi is like the the prefix, pipto is the the rest of the word. And so you have Thayer's, you have Strong's dictionaries, you have multiple dictionaries, and um, these dictionaries actually lead us to understand that it would mean like a love hug okay and we're going to show another verse that actually kind of coincides with that and all of them which heard the word so it fell it almost like hugged them the holy spirit embraced them it hugged them and then you see in Luke 15:20 the same word um it's it's the word fell there i have it highlighted in red it looks like red on here but it doesn't there but um, and he arose and came to his father this is the story of the prodigal son but when he when he was a Yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So the father ran, fell on his neck, okay? Hugging him, loving on him, right? Embracing him. That's the same word that's used when the Holy Spirit fell. So that you see this, the Holy Spirit isn't this like super like, um, a lot of people call this old school, like superpower, like, yeah, it is that too, But when it comes to his people, when it comes to people, you see the the softer side, the comforter, right? That he's falling on the people. Now, 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, "Now um, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world. So Corinthians here is saying that we haven't received the spirit of the world. So there's a spirit of the world. Okay, we have to understand what that means. Then it says, but the spirit which is of God. So we did receive the Spirit of God. In contrast, what's the Spirit of God? That we might know, we received the Spirit of God so that we might know, so that you could know the things that are freely given to us of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon His people so that we could know the things that are freely given. The things that are freely given. That's what the spirit is for. In contrast to what? The spirit of the world. Greek is known for this. Greek, The Greek language is actually known for creating these really cool metaphors that are so opposite. They're exact opposite. Okay? And so I'm going to submit this to you and we're going to continue to prove it through the scriptures. That the spirit of the world is actually a works mentality. It's actually a, a spirit of reward. A spirit of, you do good, you get good, you do bad, you deserve bad. And you're going to see that in most worldly people, that they have that kind of thinking.
2: But the whole, um, the whole thing of this, what separates us is, walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Like eight, what, Romans 8.1, the rest of that scripture says, not that we follow after the flesh. There's no condemnation to those... So we after the spirit, not after the flesh.
0: But walking in the spirit is walking in no condemnation. Yeah.
2: but
0: that's, that's
2: Those who are in Christ
0: Jesus. Yeah, but that's the key. Is living in this nothing can separate us mentality. Yeah. Living in this security. Living in this love. Living in this embrace. Living under the things that are freely given. Yeah. That is the way to walk in the spirit. Yeah.
2: But people that are alive. Learning grace you need to know that there's a difference between walking in the spirit, what
0: walking in the spirit means. So they're not yeah. dictating that. And that's why we do different Bible studies, right? Yeah. Some Bible studies talk about that, some don't, because we're in different books, we're going through different passages, right? So that's a good point. But again, coming back to it, if you just quote that off the cuff, right? Oh, you need to walk in the spirit. No,
2: I, I said people need to know what it means. Yeah.
0: Because most people naturally, yeah. based off King James, what are they gonna say? So tell me what I have to do then. When you when you quote it in, in English in King James, right? You say if you walk in the you're flesh I'm
2: not quoting it. <coughs> learning what walking in the spirit oh, means. I'm
0: not I'm not even disagreeing with you. I'm just you No know I'm saying
2: not quoting it, but I'm saying as a whole, any person needs to know what walking in the spirit means so they So they they are walking in no condemnation. So they know God's
0: love. Absolutely. But here's the other side. If you just read it in English without knowing, you're going to be led to a works mentality by just reading it in English. Because a lot of people, what they have done to those verses is they Mm -hmm. copy and paste them and post them on Facebook out of context. And so now you have people thinking, walking in the flesh is that I'm living in sin. Walking in the Spirit means I'm doing all the right. I'm living in obedience to God completely. I'm obeying God. So when I'm not obeying God, then I'm walking in the flesh. And when I'm being disobedient, I'm walking in the flesh. What
1: what
2: I'm saying is that all Christians,
0: need you know what, walking in the Spirit actually means. And I I I, I said I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing. I with you. I guess
2: educated. You know what I'm saying.
0: Yes, but what I'm saying is most believers don't, based off the reading, the, based they off know. the reading in the English. They have a hard time connecting the dots from verse 1 all the way to verse 4.
2: Would you say living by the law is walking in the flesh? Yes. Yes, completely, right?
0: For the law of the... So, Romans, Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what we could not accomplish through the law... I think verse three is for what we couldn't do through the law, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemns sin in the flesh because we couldn't fulfill the law. So walking in the walking, walking in the flesh is being living under the law. It's in the context. It's there. It's all there, but it's easily skipped over because we're so, so quick to read our denominations and what we've learned in the past and what religion has taught us into the Bible, you know? but okay. if you take your time and actually yeah, My
2: scripture says something different.
0: for, for chapter for verse 3?
2: Just just verse 1.
0: There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus.
2: Yeah, no condemnation, not a judging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh but after the dictates of the spirit.
0: So here's the thing is you're reading the amplified?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, a lot of those words are added. So you just just when we when we talk about literal word for word, this is why this is why I, I quote King James, be only because it's easy to take one word, and it's transliterated word for word.
2: Yeah.
0: It's not like paraphrased or added to, so you can actually take one word uh-huh. and really understand the meaning of that one word in Greek. So if we're going into the original language, it's more helpful for that. That's good for people who just want to kind of get the general gist of what's being said, right? Yeah. But I'm just saying a lot of those words are added so it's not a word for word
2: but i'm saying we equate the word flesh with the law and the spirit and with grace
0: with no condemnation yep so this is the thing though so we have the spirit of the world versus the spirit of god and the spirit of god is to what so we might know the things that are freely given So every time you think about the Holy Spirit talking to you, mm. speaking to you, you have to know as well, a part of what it does is to remind us of the things that are freely given. Okay, we're going to explain, <coughs> going into a little more depth on this right now. <coughs> the Holy Spirit is a spirit of grace to tell us of all the things that are freely given. What are, what's freely given? Blessings, righteousness, right? The gift of righteousness, salvation. The free gift of salvation. The saving of the soul. Uh, soteria meaning what? Wellness, wholeness, goodness. We it's, yeah. The, 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 the good life. Everything. The life of, of deliverance from danger. Deliverance from bad situations, right? It's really focused on deliverance mm-hmm. from things. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about salvation, it's also deliverance from hell. Deliverance from anxiety. Deliverance from fear. Deliverance from danger. Deliverance, right? Because that's the implication of the word. It's the deliverance from those things. So, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's a spirit that tells us, reminds us that we are blessed, reminds us that we're righteous, reminds us that we have salvation, reminds us that we're loved. It reminds us of the things that are freely given. (coughs) And the opposite, the spirit of the world is the spirit of works. It's the opposite of grace. And this is to tell us everything is earned and that there's no such thing as a free ride. In the world, that's the truth, right? Unsafe people think that they get to heaven based off charity or good deeds, or resulting in, um, and res- which results in no need to put hope in Jesus. You go to, you you can even walk outside of a club, and I've I've seen interviews before. People say, "Oh, are you going to heaven?" Well, well, I leave people alone. I don't bother them, of course. Yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. You can even ask Christians why they think they're going to heaven. Oh, I mean, I do good. I mean, I give to the church. You you could even hear Christians quoting this kind of stuff, right? saying that kind of thing that the basis on which that they're going to heaven and being with jesus forever is because they give to the poor or that they give what you know they give money to the to the homeless man on the street who's standing right there with a sign outside of their car that's the spirit of the world the spirit of the world most religions are also governed by works you talk about any other religion outside of the true gospel of grace right What Christianity is supposed to be, justification by faith, you're gonna find what? Here's the things you need to do to be blessed. Here's the things you do. If you do these things, you're cursed. Do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Okay? That's how this that's how the world works. The world works with sowing and reaping. You put a seed in the ground, seed time harvest, right? And then the tree comes out. Right? You reap. In every situation, you always reap more than what you put in When so, with sowing and reaping. This is why they say sowing and reaping is a universal law. But God flipped it on its head and said, hey, you sowed bad, but will reap good. Because I'm going to sow good and reap your bad. That's what happened on the cross. He uses the same system against itself, the spirit of the world, how it works, right? Against itself. Now, righteousness, miracles, prosperity are not achieved by works. They can be achieved by works. I'm not talking about righteousness or miracles, but a lot of people think, oh, I, I mean, I can work to become prosperous, right? But in the meaning, in, in, in this room, as far as the believer, right? They're not achieved by works, but received by grace, meaning that we have to learn how to receive from God. Because the Holy Spirit is always in association with the things that are freely given, Do you receive your miracles by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? By the hearing of faith, not by the works of the law. You don't do the law to get a miracle. You hear that what happened on the cross with Jesus, that you're justified and you have standing with God. Then now you can receive the blessings of a righteous man, even though you're not righteous, which are healing, prosperity and righteousness. You are declared righteous. Now, Romans 5, 17 kind of helps us get on the same page about this as well for if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they those who receive what abundance of grace abundance of grace well why do we talk about grace so much we're talking about right because we're given abundance of it then and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one jesus christ how do we reign in life Reign here is a kingly reign. It's really a kingly reign, you know, a queenly reign, right, for, for the women, right? It's accomplished how? By receiving what? Abundance of grace. That I'm relying on his grace, that I'm, I'm, I'm the only, my, de, my soul is dependent on his grace. And that what? My, also my soul's dependent on his gift of righteousness, not my own. I set that aside. Anything that makes me feel any kind of pride about um, I'm good and that God should bless me because I've been good, I've been faithful, right? That's how we think in our, in our natural mind, in the flesh. It's a flesh mentality. Is it? Oh, but that also, here's, here's the downside to that. If we think that by our goodness, we can, oh, that God should be blessing us, then by our badness, the same should happen. We should also receive bad. If we use that same logic through and through which is what? The mentality of the world. It's 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 walking in the flesh. Because what? The strength of sin is what? Law. The law. God's law is holy, just and good, but the strength of sin is the law. Okay. <coughs> and when did when did the when did the worldly mentality enter the world? Right when Adam and Eve sinned. It enters the world. There becomes an existence now that no longer completely depends on God. The first few days, God makes everything, and then he makes man so man can enjoy everything, right? Man can't say he made anything or did anything. But once man sins, he takes them out of that place and puts them where they have to work, right? That's part of the curse. Where how do I get fruit? How do I become blessed? How do I get food from... I have to toil now. I have to work, right? So you see that the entrance of the works mentality comes as a result of sin, the original sin from our great great grandpa Adam. <coughs> great 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 <laughs> right. So God wants us to rely on what's freely given by the Spirit when we struggle in life. So in our works, in our marriage, um, if you're looking for a wife, if you're looking for a husband, in a career, in life, and in family. Everything we must rely we must rely on what's freely given not go to the spirit of the world and try to earn something else and try to make up for it on our own <coughs> for <we're> in lack. <coughs> doing more won't make it better. Cause all you're gonna do is spend more time, lose more peace, more of your sanity, more of your time. You'll you'll lose more trying to do it on your own. Then if it's freely given, you'll actually have more time. You'll have more peace. You'll have more love in your life. He can turn water into wine for free. Stop trying to work for the wine. This is metaphorical. That's why I put it on the bottom. (laughs) I'm just saying metaphorically. The devil is the God of this world. And we're going to prove it through the scripture. And we've done a Bible study about it before, but we'll we'll visit it again. So we must learn how he operates. And he operates under the spirit of the world, which is a works mentality. God made the law against us so that we would learn to d- depend on him and not our own goodness for his blessing. So 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So he's blinded their minds. Lest the light of the glorious gospel... Of Christ, right? Remember, the gospel is about what's freely given—justification by faith, salvation. Who, who is the image of God should shine unto them. <coughs> so, the devil wants people to be so blinded that they don't know how to receive or understand this idea of everything being freely given. That he wants to keep those who don't believe in that darkness. Because the only way we can be successful, like in the the, the terms of of Christianity and walking with God, are to depend on what's freely given. So as long as he, he has a bunch of people who go to church, who don't depend on what's freely given, who depend on their own obedience, their own good works, to be blessed by God, he is happy. He is very happy. God can move in a church Remember, God can move? And that church doesn't even have to right, have the right doctrine. There could be one sincere person in that whole building that's just reaching out to God because they're in trouble and the Spirit of God falls on that church. Right? Just like when Lot, before he was um, the angel, the angel told Lot, I cannot destroy the city until you go. So leave. So leave. You see, and then the Bible calls him just Lot. He was a, a, a righteous, a just man. Not by the works of the law, because the law didn't exist. It was the same righteousness by faith that Abraham had. (coughs) (coughs) So, John 5.45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. This is Jesus speaking. There is one that accuseth you. He's not saying the devil here either. Even Moses, in whom you trust. So he's basically saying the law. The law is what? Is what? Is going to do what? Is what accuses you. The devil uses the law against you. That's how he gets us. Oh, you're a Christian? And this is how the world... This is this is why the world has this mentality about Christians. Christians are not supposed to do that. How do you know what Christians are supposed to do and not do? You're not a Christian. They have somehow more understanding about what a Christian is supposed to be doing, right? When a Christianity is, is a lot simpler than than this works mentality. It's imperfect people trusting in a perfect God who's made a way for them to be close to him in spite of themselves, in spite of their failures, in spite of the mistakes. What if we were known for that, right? What if we could really preach the gospel in the right way, in the authentic way where people know that, hey, no, like this is a place for imperfect people to be unconditionally loved by a perfect God and where we're accepted, so the law accuses. And Revelation twelve, um, ten says this, and I heard a loud voice in heaven, now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our, our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Notice he accuses them day and night. He comes before God accusing day and night. He's he's the voice of accusation. And I'm and I'm making all these distinctions on purpose right we understand the basic law versus grace right conversation but now here's the thing we understand how that looks on the outside right you see a works mentality and someone is saying oh i'm blessed because of what i do or i'm i'm, I'm cursed because i mess made a mistake right we see that works mentality but what we don't see the works mentality is what's happening in people's minds right what we see in action is just a fruit of what is happening in the heart in the mind so what when we speak these words, when we, where we're going today is to attack that belief system with the word of God to effectively help the mind okay, be transformed. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So the accuser of our brethren is cast down. He's known as the accuser of the brethren. Accusing them of what? Breaking God's law. Um, Job one six says this, And now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, which is Hasatan, meaning attacker, accuser, um, or the one who stands in court against you, came also among them. So the one who stands against you, that's Satan. Because <coughs> God is still God. So all he can do at this point is come to God and try to say, look at their sins, Right? And then God said, they have their trust in Jesus. He died. It's paid. I can't make them pay. It's paid. It would be be wrong of God to say all sin is paid for, for all time, right? And then for him to count your sin against you. It would be wrong of God to do that. Because God made us right with him on a basis of just, of his justice, not just Remember the sweeping under the rug, right? It's not just, oh, you sinned. Okay, let's sweep it under the rug. You're good now. We're good. Let's hang out now. No, it's through his justice that we're made to have fellowship with him. And people attribute conviction of sins to God. Okay, this is a dangerous thing. We're going to find out. Which is already what the devil is doing. When we see the concept of conviction in the Bible... We're going to understand what it means. Because listen to what happens. So there's a false teaching that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Where do we find that in the Bible? That's going to be... We're not going to find it in the Bible. You can do a simple search of the word conviction or convict or convicts. um, And you're not going to find it. You'll find it twice, like I told you. And so we want to go into those contexts. To understand this idea of conviction and like how it really operates and what it should be and what it's been turned into. So people in a church, uh, in the church world, teach that the Holy Spirit convicts us when we sin. And it's not in the Bible. Have you heard someone say, these are my convictions? We think we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to tell us when we fail. But here's the reality that our own hearts will tell us. And this is why our hearts can get cold and hard because of that. Convicted means what? You're sentenced already. It's a certainty that it's done. It's not, a, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a... Even in the... If you're convicted, what does that mean? You're going to pay for that crime.
2: Well, what happens when you feel conviction, the sense of condemnation, is it leads you to a place where you feel separated from God, which makes you not believe that you are His righteousness,
0: So, let's read a situation in the Bible in John 8 where the word convicted appears. And they which heard it, these are the Pharisees, being convicted by what? Their own conscience. They were convicted by their own conscience. Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. This is the where the woman um, she's caught in the very act of adultery, right? They try to stone her, and then Jesus his re, his great reply is the only man that could save her from this situation, right? Is happens to be present, and he says, "He who has no sin cast the first stone." And this is what the next words that are said, and they which heard it was all of them, because it says all of them heard it, because only Jesus was left alone, right? So all of them heard it, what he said, and they that heard it, which was all of them, being convicted by their own conscience. Starting at the eldest, why? Because the older you get, the more sins you got, right? The more time you've had on this earth, the more awareness you probably have that you make mistakes. I
2: disagree, the younger you were, the more sins you have. <coughs> when you're
0: older, you don't sin like you did when you were in your 20s. Well, when, <laughs> add, 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 what, add what you did in your 20s to now. <laughs> <laughs> it's still more. <laughs> It's just, it's just a. The Bible says that from the eldest to the right. (laughs) You're funny. He's calling us old. No, I didn't call you (laughs) (laughs) old. So what? If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, So what does the Holy Spirit actually do then? That's going to be the question, right? If it doesn't do what people are saying it does, and people say, "Oh, I have this experience." Are we going to let people's experience determine the Bible? No. Human experience does not. We rely on the Bible. And here's the thing. The Bible speaks of a spiritual reality that these people in the world can't even live in. Because they don't know, they can't know the things of God except by the Spirit. This is why grace is so hard to receive. Because it's anti-
2: the more right a person thinks they are with God, the less they're gonna sin. The more right that they, the more they believe they're in right standing and they embrace that, the less they're going to want to sin. They're not gonna to wanna to live and indulge in stuff.
0: And we're trusting that and we're not gonna deal with the middle ground. Yeah. Because.